Welcome to a podcast on fire on Fruit Punch. Enterprising, forward-thinking youths open a business because money is the future, right? Or is that love and friendship? Starring singers and untested actors, including Leon Lai, this is the opening episode of our examination of the films of one of the four heavenly kings. And it uh, comes to you in the form of Clara Law's 1991 film, Fruit Punch. And as we've done with the Alan Tam series, the George Lamb series, the Michael Wong series, uh, we're going to do the same with and to, possibly to, Leon Lai. <laughs> we're coming for it. At the end of the show, we'll recap the nine movies we've reviewed of uh, Leon Lai's, which will, will be a mixture, mixture of uh, drama, action, the quirky to a degree. So something for everyone, we hope. But uh, after the nine movies, we'll summarize if... Uh, we gave them a positive or negative grade specifically concerning uh, the old lie and then we'll tally up the points and it's not creative or anything but i have to settle on something and so you know so if he leaves a favorable impression he's lie and if not he's bye because i didn't want to do lie or die 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 sounded like that's not being kind (laughs) it's like i don't want to wish death upon anyone so it's like bye good journey <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway my name is Kenny B and as you heard uh, with me again uh, to sort of examine an actor that he uh, knows of a little bit but doesn't know the full extent of is uh, Phil G of Eastern Film Fans say hello hey uh, it's good to be back it's good to be back not that we've ever been away that long but um, it's good to be back on the podcast series and Leon Lai yeah Leon Lai or die I still like that but I know where you're coming from it's a bit harsh we should stick with that we should stick with Maybe in my rebellious uh, 20s, I would be like, yo, lie or die. But uh, no, I'm, I'm in my, my bil- I'm a billion years old. I can't do Let's that. Let's put anyway. that once a bit now before everybody says, no, we should have died. No, we won't. It will be by. Let's be kind, folks. But hey, you might be lie. Who knows? But that's the journey we're going to go on and we're going to take you with us. We're going to kindly escort Leon Lai out the door if he's by, like <laughs> Curtis people do, rather than kick him in the butt. So. Yeah. But yeah, he, he is, uh, for me, is uh, one of those uh, uneven actors that flourishes sometimes and sometimes not. And so um, that, that, that's why I thought, uh, yeah, it's a good choice. And I have some gaps to fill anyway. So we're going to try and um, include uh, one or two or maybe three new viewings for, for me as well. So it's going to be fun. Anyway, we're going to get the show on the road. Some brief contact information. First of all, this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network and our main hub for all the shows, including this show, The Anchor Show, What's Korean Cinema, This Week in Sleaze, Commentary on Fire, and Japan on Fire. It's all available at podcastonfire.com along with our website exclusive bonus episodes. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, let us know what you think of uh, this particular four uh, uh, this particular heavenly king out of the four uh, you can let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com or on social media facebook or whatever it's called at the time of recording i heard it's, <laughs> I heard it's uh, changing its name but uh, let's call it facebook for now and uh, we're available on twitter instagram and so forth uh, you can look us up on apple podcasts or stitcher radio or spotify or wherever you find podcasts and i write about a variety of hong kong and taiwanese movies and that would include uh, leon Lai's work on sogoodreviews.com that's me for now let's throw over to phil uh, you know we won't release this at the time of recording so why don't you tell us uh, what's, what's been going on on eastern film fans in 2021 because um pandemic or not um you can still do uh, website work and um, yeah gym. we can still do website work lots of reviews uh we've got some um interviews now down which i'm i'm looking forward to to sharing as well in fact 
by the time um, we're here, I'll, James Nunn would already been out. He's just directed um, one shot with uh, Scott Atkins and had the privilege and honour to speak to him. And great, he was, he's, he's just like a fanboy, a director and stuff. And uh, he's done a couple with Scott Atkins before with Eliminators um, and Green Street. So it was, a, it was a joy to sit down and I spent about an hour and we were just chatting back and forth. Um, so you can catch that uh, interview up on site. And obviously we've been working on... Um, Secret squirrel stuff in the background and stuff, which you know, and the commentaries and stuff, which we, probably people would have heard about by now. So, which is quite good. So yeah, there's been a lot going on. So even though the, you know the the podcasts haven't been as uh, as regular, we've still been busy beavering away on projects and um, yeah, just reviewing films left, right, and centre as much as we can. Um, London East uh, Asian uh, Film Festival just went on as well. Um, Raging Fire, I'm still dying to see. Hopefully, we should get a review out for that um, by the time. And hopefully, people have seen it. They're raving about, obviously, Benny Chen's uh, last film and stuff. So, the train still keeps moving, even though if you're not um, seeing as much from us from a podcast point of view. Yes, the website's still going strong. And you can catch us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Meta, is it going to be called? Don't know when they're going to change that, but there you go. Um, and a YouTube channel. Yes, we're, we're, we're still around and we're still beaveringly, beavering away um, on those reviews for you. So, yeah, come and check us out. Excellent. Uh, yeah, even I have heard of uh, One Shot. Um, uh, but I don't know the director. Is he a Brit or is he an American or is he neither? <laughs> <laughs> he's a British American. Now he's a Brit and stuff. He's um yeah, nice uh, nice bloke. Go on the website and you can read all about him. I started um you know where did you get your enthusiasm from and stuff. But yeah, uh, he's an uh, English bloke and uh, he's done well for himself. He's got great ambitions. Um and the one shot just for for those that might not know from a um point of view is actually one continual shot. So. It, 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 it was a bit of a challenge, not for him. He didn't see it as a challenge. But, yeah, this is easy. I think it was a challenge for the actors, though, because you imagine you've got to keep pace. You know, Scott Atkins has to do the fight scenes. It's one continual shot all the way through. So it's pretty pretty impressive thing that he's put together. Um, by the way of title, it is actually, and he did one of my favourite uh, films called Tower Block um, way back when, which was a, a great little uh, British film. So, yeah, he's... Um, one to watch out for. He has great ambition on, on what he wants to do. And, um, yeah, somebody sh- you should uh, yeah have a look at his uh, body of work. It's uh, it's impressive for somebody that's, you know, kind of starting out. Um, and he, I, I, I do firmly believe he can make it to the big leagues. It would be like um, Gareth and the Raid and stuff, you know, way back when we interviewed him and stuff. And look at him now. He's doing, you know, Havoc with Tom Hardy. But I, I think the same could be said for James and stuff. He's certainly, uh, he's certainly got something special about him. So, yeah want to watch excellent and uh you are of course um a few years ago had the pleasure of talking of the late uh, talking with uh, the late uh, benny chan uh, yes. with uh, and uh, now with raging fire out uh, you know uh, it's going to be available everywhere including uk and the us so even if you miss it on the big screen phil you're going to get a chance to watch it at home at the very least yeah absolutely we're looking forward to that um big things will be quite emotional i'll be quite emotional watching and stuff Benny Chan was very gracious enough to, to to grant me an interview, you know, and 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 that was wonderful of him, and I thank him very much, and I can't wait to see his last film because I, you know, the rave reviews about it, um, it sounds fabulous. So yeah, looking forward to that. Enough about that. Let let's see what we could do with Leon, baby. Indeed, and we're gonna take a short music break, play a little bite from uh, Fruit Punch, uh, and uh, sit tight for thirty seconds, and we'll be right back. Yes, 
and welcome back. We're going to give you a rundown of uh, what's to come here in the introductory episode to Leon Lai. And we'll do a biography of him, talking of his uh, singing and film career. Uh, give you a little snapshot of each. We'll then introduce the fruit punch section by first talking of its director, Clara Law, because she's um, quite a notable director. She's not very well known, I think, because she's she was not purely action, but um, she's an important second wave director. And we'll uh, break uh, all that down for you and we'll then review the film and timestamps will be in the show post so here we go a little snapshot of uh, who leon lai is and he was born in 1966 he's a hong kong cinema profile with his hands in a variety of entertainment fields uh, and uh, and a variety of fields even outside of entertainment uh, not only an actor also a director counter pop singer and lumped into a group of singers collectively known or dubbed as the four heavenly kings the others being Jackie Chung, and Lau, and Aaron Kwok. They're all the dominating force across music releases and entertaining coverage in magazines and TV and ad campaigns in their heyday, and perhaps they still are. I mean, they're all active, but um, what the, the only thing I don't know and how, how much they dominate media as the four heavenly kings. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're you know they're in their elder years now. They 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 still got it, but maybe there's no need for Phil to uh, push the four heavenly kings constantly and overload the media with that. Uh, but I can imagine back in the day, they were everywhere. They sure were busy. <laughs> you know, Andy Lau, Jackie Chung, uh, Aaron Kwok, uh, Leon Lai, they sure were busy. Uh, movies and singing, but uh, anyway. Uh, Leon Lai was born in Beijing. He is of Hakka ancestry, which is a Han Chinese subgroup thought to have originated from nor- the northern provinces in China. He was educated at the Lewisham College in the UK, and then Leon Lai returned to Hong Kong in the mid-80s, and uh, he got a break as a singer by becoming the runner-up in the 1986 New Talent Singing Awards. This resulted in a record deal with Capital Artists, but apparently no releases came out of that, and, and it was only via a contract with Polygram that the discography part of Leon Lai's work was initiated. And if you know anything about counter-pop discographies, they're long. <laughs> 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 Starts collecting now. <laughs> uh, his debut, Leon, uh, went uh, self-titled debut. Leon uh, went gold, and uh, he made a dent singing not only counterpop but also he sang in Mandarin, uh, and also collaborated with producer Mark Loy uh, doing electronic songs and focused on evolving the product via distinctive music videos and uh, by 1990 Leon Lai was getting accolades winning his first Jade Solid Gold Top 10 award and the RTHK Top 10 Gold Song Award um, and throughout the 90s won honors such such as most popular male singer for TVB Jade Solid Gold and in the late 90s he was the first Hong Kong singer to crack the Top 10 Korean pop chart with the, the number After Loving You that's a little snapshot of um, of him in the music business as it's not really my forte um not one not terribly interested but not very knowledgeable so but still <laughs> not terribly interested i mean it's too uh, much man it's too much the back. wake up wake up <laughs> it's too much man i, I can't get into <laughs> it now you got to tell the people they know now it's good thank you i, I I'm, I'm happy with the movie themes but yeah I'm, exactly uh, but, I'm, but i'm not here to like start collecting every andy lau album uh, <laughs> you know. we'd be there all day when we try yeah. to collect all them jeez i mean if you think someone like madonna is uh, has an extensive yeah. uh, discography like andy lau comes in there hold my beer or leon lai comes in there hold my beer let me show you mine yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of acting um Leon Lai broke through in the 1991 TVB 
TV series, The Breaking Point, also starring Kathy Chow and Maggie Sue. He had a smaller role in the 1989 movie, Missing Man. It's a thriller, as well as in the movie Four Loves. But a greater exposure, even though it wasn't a terribly big hit, came in our movie at hand here, 1991's Fruit Punch, from uh, director, acclaimed director, Clara Law. And after punishing her audiences with the likes of the bleak Farewell China, Fruit Punch was this light, sweet romance with doses of humor, realism, and an acting that created a pleasant atmosphere uh, of 90s Hong Kong, but uh, we'll expand on that. Uh, and a steady stream of appearances took up Leon Lai's uh, time in the 90s, ranging from the box office hit The Magic Touch, working for and alongside comedy legend Michael Hoy. He was the lead in the Choi Hak produced live action adaptation of the anime Wicked City. Um, he's a card whiz in in many respects in City Hunter. Um, you know, he's a, a bit of a god of gamblers type of character in that one uh, comes in halfway through the movie and is part of the action climax but um, it's a guest role of sorts uh, I would say and uh, it's obviously a, a Jackie Chan movie and uh, all of that but but yeah part of the tapestry that Wong Jing the, the very immature tapestry that Wong Jing is painting in, in, in City Hunter <laughs> is part of that uh, Leon Lai uh, but probably 1996's uh, Comrades Almost a Love Story remains uh, one of his finest roles and biggest movies uh, uh, that was uh, a Peter Chan director, romantic drama, also starring Maggie Chung and Eric Tsang, and it won nine Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, none for Leon Lai, though, but he was nominated for Best Actor. Speaking of God of Gamblers, Leon Lai played the young Ko Chun, Sharon Fat's character in the other movies, uh, in the God of Gamblers prequel, God of Gamblers 3, the early stage. Uh, and uh, he worked with distinguished director Anne Hoy for the acclaimed drama 18 Springs in 1997. Uh, where Leon Lai's song for the movie was nominated at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, didn't win, but he would eventually win a Hong Kong Film Award in that category for his song used in the Mabel Chung drama City of Glass, uh, which was an award he shared with composers uh, Albert Young and, uh, and Dick Lee. So uh, he, he had a hand in um, producing that song and coming up with it. And uh, he stars in City of Glass as well with um, Xu Chi. Uh, in the early days of Milky Way Image, I wonder if you remember this, we even saw it, Leon Lai starred with Lao Ching Wan in Johnny Toe's both homage, update and even send-up of the heroic bloodshed genre in the form of a hero never dies. Do you remember uh, catching that at any point? Vaguely, yeah, way back when and stuff. I did the whole um, discography of uh, Johnny Toe's, to be honest. So I would have... I would have watched it, but I can't. I can't recall it, so it never really uh, stayed with me. I guess. Hopefully, it gets a reissue because that's a very. I mean, he is upstaged by Lao Ching Wan, and rightly so, yeah. because it's Lao Ching Wan. Exactly. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's such a cool movie that um, wants to be that kind of movie, but also be a little bit snarky about it because uh, the whole <laughs> you know brotherhood and uh, frenemies angle. I suppose it's uh, it's taken to almost. Uh, satirical levels but it's a it, it's a stylish work and i really really dig it um, uh, going into the new millennium leon lai uh, teamed up with peter chan from comrades almost a love story again for the hong kong segment of the anthology film anthology horror film free released in 2002 uh, he starred in the short film going home that had equal parts horror and drama and leon lai rightly won the taiwan golden horse awards for his performance in the film he wasn't the only one that uh, was uh, deserving of accolades. I believe uh, Eugenia Yuan, which is the daughter of Cheng Pei Pei, uh, won. Um, she might have won in Hong Kong and Taiwan, but at least won one acting award playing the dead wife. But uh, there are moments where she has dialogue and she's she's wonderful. 
in uh, in Going Home. Uh, so it it starts out quite scary and quite ominous, but uh, Peter Chan is uh, steering that film into a well-deserved. Um, acclaimed uh, drama uh, it's longer short in free as well it lasts uh, about 50 minutes or so and uh, then there are uh, two hours uh, one from korea by kim ji-won of uh, a tale of two sisters fame and uh, a short from thailand as well from a director whose name i don't remember at this point probably couldn't pronounce it i'm sorry me and thai names are a bit uh, <laughs> you, you do better than me ken so we'll let you yeah. off me yeah but uh, but yeah it's a it's a very very good um yeah, Leon Lai was a new character in the third Infernal Affairs uh, film and co-wrote the romantic fi- the romantic film Leaving Me Loving You with director Wilson Yip. And uh, he was part of the Seven Warriors in Choi Hak's wuxia film Seven Swords. And uh, uh, that's something to perhaps uh, revisit. I haven't seen it since it came out, essentially. He took on quite a quirky but felt role in Infernal Affairs writers Felix Chong and Alex, Alan Max movie Moonlight in Tokyo alongside the Chapman Toe where Leon Lai was playing a mentally challenged man who pretends to be a Korean gigolo in Japan. <laughs> As you do. God, that's a mouthful. Why are you doing that? Yeah, I've got a role for you. What, really? In what? In Japan? Yeah, that's quirky. Uh, in 2008, he starred in the Chen Kaije, directed uh, Forever Enthralled. Uh, Chen is the director of uh, Farewell, My Concubine, among other things. It was uh, this uh, biographical film that saw Leon Lai training in Peking Opera to do the role justice. Uh, to do the role uh, justice, and uh, he re- reunited once more with Peter Chan. Um, perhaps one of the directors feel that knows how to use him well, because it's not always the case that he breaks through. With, but with Peter Chan, he's uh, on a good track record. And he played the role in, in the reunion of a beggar in Bodyguards and Assassin, which was produced by Peter Chan and directed by Teddy Chen. And I haven't seen that, and I, I do believe that's a firm sort of um, inclusion in this um, in this episode. I only remember an image of him as a, you know, he looks like a beggar, but I don't know if his role is martial arts uh, oriented or not. Yeah, I literally good. no be, idea. Uh, I'm looking forward to that revisit, I have to say. We've uh, nailed that one in, so that will be good so yeah people can look forward to that one and uh yeah let's let's have a look at leon in that because like i say this is uh he's always an interesting journey when we start this out and we and we look at these actors that you know we recognize we know of but perhaps not you know taking a further a further look at them an in-depth look at them and actually seeing them perform um when especially when they're part of ensemble casts and or you know we don't really go straight to the right it's a it's a leon lay movie let's uh you know, it's a george land movie i must pick that up so uh yeah it should be an interesting journey i'm looking forward to uh revisiting some of those films and uh, leon lai has directed two films uh, starting with uh, 2006 a melody looking which was a musical film shot in location in new york city starring himself and chapman toe and also 2018's wine war which by the way looks like it's something we should take literally. It's a gunplay film, but it looks like they're, they're arguing over wine or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what it is, but, uh, but but I do want to touch upon that. And that stars himself and uh, Zhang Han Yu, which uh, viewers might have seen in John Woo's Manhunt. Off screen, Leon Lai devotes his time to charity. He had a father who survived cancer and around around the 1990s and uh, Lai was uh, approached by the Cancer Research and uh, UN organization uh, uh, a UN organization that got the ball rolling in terms of uh, Leon's involvement in cancer research. He worked with UNICEF during a China polio eradication program in 1993. In 94, he became the first Hong Kong citizen to be given the position of international UNICEF goodwill ambassador. And uh, Leon has raised money for the Hong Kong committee for UNICEF through charity concerts, uh, walkathons, and even chocolate sales. That's lovely. 
chocolate, chocolate, come get your chocolate from one of the heavenly kings. <laughs> so, and in 1995, he, he was appointed UNICEF special representative to youth at their New York headquarters and was elected as one of the 10 outstanding young persons in 1997, where he was recognized for his commitment to the social causes and community. And in the new millennium, he was in 2003, specifically, he was awarded the Medal of Honor by Chief Executive of Hong Kong, which was essentially, I guess, the replacement for Order of the British Empire post-handover. So uh, hopefully hopefully you consider that a great honor. And uh, otherwise, because um, I, I don't really know, he has stayed out of politics uh, reportedly, um, so he isn't uh, terribly vocal. But in 2005, he did a Hong Kong government TV ad supporting a gradual political reform package. So he, he dipped his toes into that a little bit. And last entry on the end of the bio here uh, in his uh, discography is in 2011 with the album XU. So he isn't constantly busy anymore recording music. And after Wine War in 2018, he hasn't appeared in films uh, as far as I see, but an announcement for 2021's The Invisible 12, starring Chai Fat, Nick Chung, Louis Ku, Nick Tse, directed by Wong Jing. It's out there, but that announcement has been around since, I believe, because I asked Kevin Ma, since like 2015. <laughs> so who knows when that will come out, because it was promoted then as the 100th Wong Jing movie. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like a slow-moving project indeed. So when it gets made, if it gets made, it might be the 105th or 110th film by Wong Jing. And that oh, doesn't look as good. I'm, oh, no, it doesn't sound promising. But, man, that's a cast to die for, isn't it? So, sign me up. Um, it's one of those things I believe they they they, they show that like uh, film market uh, events, you know what I mean, uh, looking for investors and 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 sometimes the films uh, they don't get off the ground fast or at all, but they have an an entry in databases even though they're not made. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's the case for the Invisible uh, Invincible Twelve, rather. So that's Leon for you. Let's move on to the fruit punch section here. And uh, it's from 1991, a plot from my re- review of the film. Uh, five friends decide to try and start their own business as money is out there uh, to, uh, to grab for grabs. They put their limited savings into a laundry business. That quickly fails as the commitment isn't really there across the whole group. Uh, because uh, two of them, uh, the likes of Ming, played by Leon Lai, and the stuttering Huck, played by Huck and Lee, Instead, gets you know their commitment gets shifted onto love because they try to wow uh, Yo-Yo, played by Vivian Chow, and Cat, played by Song Nei, respectively. Uh, the company does take a turn for the better as the combined effort of many businesses into one attracts interests from a major shareholder. But with financial success around the corner, what remains more important to follow through on? Love, money, or friendship? So that's the sort of uh, template for you. And I think it's only very fair and also wise to sort of do a little breakdown of director Clara Law's career, uh, you know, very much acclaimed and awarded, but obviously not something that the community constantly, uh, a director that community constantly talks of. But I think it's only fair to give her a little spotlight here and maybe motivates people to seek out a movie or two. So um, this uh, film, uh, Fruit Punch, was directed by second wave director Clara Law, which could be said to be like a cluster of directors appearing on the scene at the end of the 80s. If you look at the first wave, that would be directors feel like um, Anne Hoy and Choi Haak. And uh, people coming from abroad, having had an education there and coming in with new ideas. And that that would be sort of the first new wave. And then the second wave uh, uh, at the end of the 80s, heading into the 90s, would include big figures like Stanley Kwan, the director of Rouge, uh, Wong Kar-wai, Mabel Chung. And Clara Law 
was slotted into that and she would concern herself with kind of pessimistic themes uh, such as the financial crisis uh, in the you know in in the light of the upcoming 1997 handover immigration issues uh, but she also made modern set supernatural tales uh, in that sort of made sense uh, coming in the wake of a chinese ghost story uh, but um, she could also do sweet coming of age stories before at the time um, uh, at that time making her hong kong farewell movie in the form of temptation of a monk before emigrating to australia and a distinguished filmmaking career down under as well which uh, we'll highlight but she was born in macau in 1957 and clara studied english literature at the university of hong kong and then um, jumped on onto the media side of things as an assistant producer and director at radio television hong kong in 1978 uh, so she, she got kind of a hands-on course on in tv screenwriting and directing and she helped 12 drama programs for rthk uh, but uh, they decided to further her film education abroad uh, instead of jumping into film because it kind of happens you, you're in tv you get a chance and then the film career starts rolling and you've learned on the job. But Clara wanted to um, further her education. So she studied at the National Film and Television School in England. Uh, she won the Silver Plaque Award at the Chicago Film Festival for her 1985 graduation film, They Say the, Fu- they Say the Moon is Full, here. And she returned to Hong Kong and made her feature debut with The Other Half and The Other Half. Um, that covered themes of emigration and economy and the handover. Again, um, it uh, was scripted by her life partner eddie fong and like um mabel chung and alex law the director uh, and uh, writers of the likes of painted faces autumn's tale and uh, those movies they're, they're, they're not only life partners but they're creative partners and that continues to this day and uh, eddie himself is an acclaimed director of uh, the shaw brothers erotica and amorous woman of tang dynasty starring uh, pata and he also did the wild Greatly under scene. I wish it could get reissued. The wild Jackie Chung detective comedy, The Private Eye Blues. It's um, it's one of my favorite, favorite Hong Kong movies. Very, very weird, but just very, very good. And uh, they filmed that in sync sound. And it's a um, great stylish sort of an anarchic film. Um, you don't know what to expect but when you start it, and you shouldn't. Um, so I hope that gets reissued at some point. Uh, but... Uh, Clara, after her debut movie, made a fantasy movie, The Reincarnation of Golden Lotus, starring Joey Wong. She starred in these Chinese ghost story style movies after a Chinese ghost story. That is one, but it's partly set in modern time. And uh, that was in 1990. And her third fe- in her third feature, Clara Law returned to a theme established in her debut work, uh, The Other Half and The Other Half, concerning the hardships of in- immigrants, but throughout all Hong Kong comedy hijinks, because th- that was a lighter film. For a more detailed and harrowing look at the effects of the desperate striving for the you know, needed life changes via immigration. In this case, when someone Im- Im- uh, emigrates to America, they want the li- their life to be better. And uh, that movie was Farewell China. That stars Maggie Cheung, uh, Big Tony, Tony Lankafai, uh, set in New York, filmed in New York. And it was a multi-nominee at the Hong Kong Film Awards, including for Best Picture. It won three awards at the Taiwanese Golden Horse Awards, including Best Actor for Tony Leung. And uh, Clara talked during a panel discussion that the, while the script was done before the Tiananmen Square massacre and they had their eyes set on New York, the, the anger and shame of being Chinese and how the people were treated led to a sort of raw emotion being put into her work. I mean, we've seen that before um, with f- filmmakers uh, literally putting Tiananmen in their movies with uh, John Woo's bullet in the head, if you remember, Phil, that it had um, imagery 
taken straight from uh, the Tiananmen Square uh, protests and so forth. And uh, I don't think we can ever fully relate to that raw emotion, but um, it it ended up in movies because uh, that affected to to a great degree, Uh, regardless if it was full-on confrontational or raw emotion in a more uh, um, in a more indirect in a more indirect way making another story and not a Tiananmen story uh, so so yeah F- Farewell China isn't an easy film to watch but uh, man is it good and um, yeah, also kind of um, underseen because it's not been in constant uh, rotation but uh, after that uh, we, we get to 1991's Fruit Punch which which sheds the bleakness of um, the prior movie. I mean, it always amazes me that you 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 see an example or two across Hong Kong cinema where a filmmaker makes their dirtiest, raw, grim movie, and afterwards you need to have a come down of sorts. So you make a nice movie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> do you remember if you remember School on Fire, Ringo's movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boy, 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 that was angry. And then afterwards we got Wild Search, and that was kind of more sweet. It was romantic yeah. to a degree, and uh, a bit bit more softer to the touch. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Makes sense. Makes sense that they do that. You imagine emotionally, it drains you as a filmmaker to create something like that and to deliver something like that. But obviously, you still got that. You still want to make movies and stuff, but it must take a hell of a lot out of you. So doing, being creative and, and pushing then something, another side of yourself would like, I, I would guess from that point, alleviate that and that and, and bring out the creative from the other side. So it makes sense that they, they would do these kind of films afterwards, from my point of view anyway. Yeah, very much, very much agree. Uh, in 1982, after Fruit Punch, we got Autumn Moon, which uh, took a more artful approach with contemplative characters, long uninterrupted takes, a slow pace. But uh, I thought it was a largely successful experimental piece on immigration. Uh, it had a Category 3 rating due to a few scenes of fairly graphic sex, but uh, I think uh, it was part of the storytelling. At least I thought so then. I haven't seen it in many, many years, but uh, I thought it was uh, quite quite all right. And then came 1993's Temptation of a Monk, and her and their partner Eddie Fong's last Hong Kong movie at the time before they moved to Australia. That was co-written by Eddie Fong and Lillian Lee, and Lillian Lee has been the, you know, she uh, she's a prolific novelist, and uh, many of her movies has ended up as... Uh, adaptations on screen which included Clara Law's prior film The Reincarnation of Golden Lotus but also classics such as Rouge Farewell My Concubine and uh, she also authored the story Dumplings was based on so Lillian Lee is sort of all over the place uh, she uh, she hasn't boxed, her in, uh, boxed herself in and uh, she's, uh, she's been involved in the filmmaking process by penning screenplays as well and Temptation of a Monk was shot on location in the north and northwestern part of China it, it's a, it's a period movie uh, it's um wuxia to a degree it's more contemplative um than that um but um they were sort of to me considering the crew that was on that movie clara and eddie were starting to network and reach out and connect with international talent so while this was you know it, it was an effort temptation of a monkey involving hong kong mainland chinese taiwanese but also australian uh, particular crew and one of the uh, cinematographers on the film was Andrew Lesney, who won the Academy Award in that capacity for The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And the editor was Jill Bilcock, who has Moulin Rouge, Elizabeth and Road to Perdition under her belt. So Claire and Eddie had um, connections and could bring in that the production could afford. 
outside talent, if you will. Yeah, ultimately, Temptation of a Monk was banned in China as their co-productions, uh, co-production partners weren't quite ready for what Lore delivered in terms of violence and um, and sex. Uh, Joan Chen is in that movie, by the way. Um, so um, oh. uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, Clara spoke in turn that she found working with the Chinese crew was difficult because of the nature of the co-production financing. It wasn't synchronized at all times, but uh, it was acclaimed. Temptation of a Monk. Some lukewarm reviews, uh, but awards-wise, uh, it did uh, well for itself. It bagged two Hong Kong films awards for best newcomer which was male lead Wu Xingquo and best score by uh, Tats Lau and uh, the art direction was awarded in Taiwan and Andrew Lesney received the Millie Cinematographer of the Year award by the Australian Cinematographer Society in 1995 for his uh, work on the film so uh, a year or two after it was out and uh, we spoke of Clara and Eddie moving Possibly fearing. I mean, they made movies about it and, and dreading and uh, maybe thought that there, there will be no working opportunities or lucrative ones uh, after the handover. Clara Law and Eddie Fong made the decision to move to Australia, but they did continue to produce movies. In 1996's Floating Life, about an aging Hong Kong couple's move to Australia and with their two youngest sons, was an award winner and uh, qualified for the Taiwan Golden Horse Awards, so presumably because of spoken language, maybe co-production partners, but uh, it won original film score and was nominated in Taiwan for Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, Supporting Actress, um, and was even uh, submitted as Australia's official Best Foreign Language Film for the 1997 Academy Awards, but it was not um, accepted. Not seen that, but I have seen The Goddess of 1967, which was a 2000 film starring Rose Byrne which is a familiar face to American audiences. She's in uh, those uh, Neighbors uh, movies with Seth Rogen as well. I believe she plays uh, Seth Rogen's wife in those. Despite being on a roll, uh, Clara and Eddie thought, you know, they, they, they felt the creative process started to feel limited. They had ideas what to explore, but felt they weren't hitting the levels they wanted to. And that's not a bad thing to be critical of your own work, you know, even if you're awarded and shit. You still need to sort of say, well, is this what we want to put out there? Um, and uh, it prompted them to sort of seek out prior mentors and trying to get back to the essence of art to find pure intuition again and go with that. And it kind of led to the path of documentarians. Uh, Clara Law made her documentary debut with Letters to Ali in 2004, a result of new thinking. And uh, then they came back uh, more closer to their roots, I guess, uh, making the Taiwanese movie Like a Dream in 2009, starring Daniel Wu. And seemingly at the time of recording, the couple, they have tried their, tried their hand at the mainland market in 2015 with the romance action comedy The Unbearable Lightness of Inspector Fun, which I haven't seen. Uh, but uh, that seems to be it. Uh, hello, future Ken here. That is not it, as I just found out Clara Law has a new movie brewing, which showed at the 2021 Sydney Film Festival. To quote a few passages from an interview in The Guardian, Clara Law's latest film Drifting Petals is an experimental, self-funded alternate cinema piece spanning Macau, Australia and Hong Kong, made over five years. Loosely, it follows a filmmaker as she reconnects with a piano student in Hong Kong. A drifting camera follows them each separately as they confront long-lost memories, meeting those living and dead and facing an uncertain future. The free-spirited vision behind the project meant Clara Law and life and creative partner Eddie Fong had no choice but to take a DIY nano production approach. It saw the pair fulfilling most creative and practical elements themselves sometimes resorting to YouTube tutorials to fill in the blanks. For her next project, because she has 
two movies brewing now. The little Chi Pao shop. Law has also turned her lens on her adopted home. She describes it as a film for the new generation, an intergenerational story centering on a 28-year-old Australian-born Chinese woman growing up between two cultures. So... She's got two new movies, so that wasn't it. So back to the show in progress. So uh, if I were to recommend anything, I you know, would probably try and seek out The Temptation of a Monk. And, uh, and uh, I would kind of want to see uh, uh, a Floating Life finally, because uh, it sounds nice that they got, they got the claim uh, heading to Australia and things like that. The Goddess from 1967 is good. But it's a bit difficult, um, uh, a bit vague, but it was good. And um, yeah. So that's it for Clara Law. Let's uh, get some short opinion from Phil, first of all, on Fruit Punch. Knowing nothing of the director of the film, barely anything about Leon Lai, apparently. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he's floating around the place. He yeah. seems to win a lot of films or whites. He's just never taken notice, much like, much like George Lamb, to be honest, and, and those gone before. But that's that's the joy of doing this series. Quick overview of Fruit Punch. You know what? I, I, I found the film to be quite endearing and sweet. It was, um, it was kind of inoffensive and and charming somewhat charming and and you know me i do like a good gunfight or fist fight and um there was none of that in this it was a it was a sweet little film by you know a group of guys and they're they're trying just to get on in life and make a make a fast buck and 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 their girlfriends get in the way and everything else and you know what for everything it was it was it kept me engaged and like i say i just found it to be a charming little little film i i very much agree um when I did top 10 list of the films that I'd seen during the year on my site, I don't have the stamina to do that now. <laughs> Literally, I, 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 I can't. It's, my, it's like I'm a kryptonite. And someone asks me to do a top 10, I'm like, fuck no. Oh, no, fuck that. <laughs> they, I, I can't. I just can't. Yeah. But the pe- better people should do that. I'm not the one. And better people do. Anyway, I placed this at the top of whatever year I watched it in, in because it, it would have been like in the early 2000s. And I, I still like it very much. It's a light, sweet romance with doses of humor, realism, and acting that creates this atmosphere of pleasant early 90s Hong Kong that is kind of rightly worrying about its future, though. But it's not pessimistic, but uh, there are concerns. And Clara Law proves you need to engage on a character level even if it's simple arcs and simple romance uh, and she isn't pushing any uh, big style here or anything and uh, Fruit Punch should go down well with uh, anyone who wants a sweet time but anyone who was just emotionally drained even in a bad way after the punishing Farewell China so this is uh, absolutely nothing like Farewell China it's the only similarity would be that that was also synchronized sound that movie as is this which is a plus point that we'll get to. Uh, among the young cast members, we also find a male counterpop group, Grasshoppers. Uh, Calvin Choi plays Chi, Remus Choi plays Kit, uh, the guy who works in the finance, and Edmund So plays Y. And uh, he's, I believe he's the guy who at one who has the car, but at one point has to ride his bike with the you know megaton of laundry. Yeah, yeah, it's going. Yeah. They're still active, performing abroad, such as in Las Vegas. So um. But this film, I don't feel, is a vehicle for vain pop stars. Um, mm. You know, even Huck and Lee, who plays Huck, um, they, they named them kind of after them, who they are. I mean, Leon Lai's Chinese name is Lai Ming, so he's Ming. Um, so it's easy to identify. And uh, so obviously he was a singer at this point, but I never felt it was a vain vehicle for pop stars. It's uh, it's a vehicle for a director who wants to tell the story of, of young people trying to be proactive. And uh, that doesn't lead to, you know, forced 
music videos mid uh, <laughs> mid movie or any or any of these actors looking like uh, like they think they're big shit. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm going into it. I didn't even know there were pop stars. I, I had a clue that they were called grasshoppers or anything else. They were just, you know, some actors acting in a, like I say, in something that was, was pleasant to watch and enjoyable. And, and sometimes I can understand why Clara would pick or do a film like this on the back of, you know, potentially something more uh, meaningful or to the, to drive and, and to deliver this with the performances you've got with Fruit Punch. It was a, it was a real delight to sit down and watch, you know, everybody should, you know, watch a film like that occasionally just to, to bring you, you know, peace in your soul. It, it isn't as good as that, to be fair. I'm, I'm, I'm over, I'm over egging it somewhat, but it was really nice to sit down in one of those films that just washes over you and, and, and you know, you don't have to scrub yourself clean afterwards after no, you watch sure. it. So it's a lovely little film to watch. And you know, she also went from uh, genuine movie stars to working with more untested talent. Which, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not going to speak for Clara here, but I think it sounded like she's a creative person that wants to um, mm. challenge herself, like take on untested um, and untested ensemble and uh, exactly. try and make them relatable. Because if you don't get that ensemble, right, you're going to come crashing around your ears, especially this kind of film, because those those friends have to be tight and they have to go through that emotion and bounce off one another. And they certainly did that in this film, which obviously drives the film. So Yeah, yeah, yeah we see that as they have their little um, uh, beachside uh, barbecue where, where they mostly throw marshmallows at, at each other rather than eat them. But that, that, that's what <laughs> young people do. Um, exactly. But but they are in their, their early 20s, presumably. And uh, I don't think they're too young to, to discuss economic matters with each other because that's part of the sort of uh, future thinking that you need to have in mind, you know, your future pension or what happens when you lose a job. And uh, I, I never felt they were too young as characters for these concerns and, and the actors looked insecure delivering such um, uh, such concerns and dialogue. And even Leon here, not even Leon, Leon is matching uh, these uh, the energy that is needed for the banter between uh, friends, but it's not a movie feel that I think singles out the performer as such in intent. There's no one like walking up to the frame and having the big award-winning monologue. Yeah, they're, they're a group of friends. Uh, even though I like Leon Lai in this movie and, li- and I like Hack and Lee as Hack because he's obviously more memorable out of the boys being a more sympathetic character and he has, he has to stutter as well, so you mm-hmm. never forget that. Uh, but it is an, an ensemble piece. But did, like for, for you, did you think... Uh, it was difficult to tap into what they were talking about or or Clara communicated well enough that there are financial concerns you should grab you, you should grab while while the going is good <laughs> you know what i mean or or uh, was it difficult to tap into the like the like the local Hong Kong matters that were being talked no, about. No, I don't think so. I think it set it really nicely right in the first, you know, 10 minutes of that film and stuff. They set up the friendship, like, you know, there was like a little thing where the, is he committing suicide because they're all rallying around on the phone and stuff, which was quite quick. He liked it. So you put the people as the ensemble, like they're all friends, they're all mates, they're best buddies forever and stuff. And then secondly, on the beach and stuff, when they're, they're pallying around and stuff, they come up with the, the quick money scheme on how they can, you know, make money and go forward. So they've set the movie up in the first you know, 10 minutes or so to boom, here we go. And quite nicely. And, you, and you're in it, you're on for the ride there from straight, you know, they, she's hooked you, um, which is really, really tight kind of um, creating that 
that journey that you want to go on. Because if you don't get that right at the beginning of stuff, you could be lost in the, in the film for a period of time trying to find out where this is going. But right from the very start, you understand where you're going with this. So it's great, yeah. And sometimes Hong Kong movies are made for Hong Kongers. So yeah. uh, they, it's not their job to make it easy for us. But we did understand it. And, and it actually has a good set of subtitles to um, to include us in that way as well. Uh, I thought they, they, they looked to be of uh, a little bit higher standard than uh, than expected. <laughs> than some we've read before. That is very true. Even for like great dramatic movies, like, whoa. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Considering Hong Kong subtitles are not good. Sometimes you just go, whoa. We're in some deep doodle here. <laughs> I mentioned Sync Sound, and it's something you either pick up on, whoa, it's live, or you don't pick up at all. You just go with the flow. I, I do pick it up because it, it just sounds more live than you're used to, and there's no, not a whole lot of canned dialogue, possibly only for Song Lei, who is possibly... Her character, Kat, is mainland Chinese, uh, and but she speaks Cantonese, but possibly she, she was dubbed. I'm not terribly sure. But uh, anyway, I think sync sound helps for dramatic purposes, but also in some of the funnier scenes. One of my favorite scenes is oh, during one of their first shareholders' meetings, it starts in the kitchen, and they're probably at at home with Hakin Lee's character uh, parents, his character's parents, because uh, his father is um, is stuttering as well, right? And that is hereditary in this case. Uh, and uh, they're they're doing the dishes in the kitchen, and Leon Lai comes in with a bowl and he said it's broken because he smashed it over this guy's head and then he goes out and then another guy comes in you know all flustered and hot and bothered and brings a knife with him and then goes out and we don't see it and uh, uh, at that point that we were sort of like what is going on out there what are they fighting about show me show me what's going on and i thought those were great like one take little beats as the characters come in and out go in and out and the parents like what is going on here <laughs> and to have that in sync sound helps a lot for me to get the authenticity of of the comedic delivery. I don't understand Cantonese. Obviously, it, it would make a difference to me if I heard uh, dub dialogue or live dialogue delivering the same jokes. But I think it's such an advantage to the film to have it all in sync sound. That uh, so I I picked up on it throughout because I just like hearing the natural delivery. But uh, was that conscious or subconscious? You think for you that they shot the live sound. I really don't take any heed of it. I'm more of a pictures than a sound anyway. So it comes in one ear and out the other, so to speak. So I, I'm not that. It's more um, what's in front of my eyes that will drive me to, you know, where I need to be. And I don't really take much notice of the sync sound or not. But you can tell, obviously, the difference. There is a, a huge difference in that. Um, so therefore, that adds to the gravitas of the, the whole feature as well. There's good energy about the young ones, I think, uh, mm. in 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 all kinds of scenes, but especially the comedic scenes uh, when they have the little opening lion dance ceremony with the firecrackers. <laughs> One of them is, is obviously studying the the star charts and uh, trying to fight the ultimate time slot to do their opening act, which is sort of in the middle of night. <laughs> And then chaos ensues as they light the firecrackers. Uh, I thought that was great because when they light the firecrackers in that little tiny area at the top of the roof where they have all their washing machines, it just goes haywire. And uh, (laughs) as they run around and the lights go uh, on in the surrounding buildings, I thought that was very, very funny. And uh, it it had an energetic uh, frame here. And the also the other thing was it was quite quirky that you know okay this isn't going to go to plan you know what I mean they got these great plans they're going to do this but actual fact looking at them, they're a bunch of misfits and they're just like ambling along from the next 
the next kind of good idea to another and this isn't going to go smooth and stuff where it was quite quirky again it's another beat in the storytelling isn't it just to give you a signal look you know this is going to have a little you know a few bumps in the road so to speak until they get there it's going to be quite quirky and i enjoyed i do so i did enjoy that part yeah yeah especially for leon lai he's uh, a bit too casual with uh this um, company business so uh, the, the the scene where he goes up to Haku like is carefully measuring dosage uh, of uh, washing powder and Li- Ming is just like pouring in like half the <laughs> half yeah. the packet and then shuts it all and done yeah. and you know and, and then he's out you know to uh, try and find a girl or something like that so. yeah yeah he doesn't care what he's, he's there really like Kicking the washing machine to get it start again. You don't have to. You don't have to be nice. These it's just something like you know. Sometimes you have to be aggressive and just kind of kicks it, gets it started, and then he's off again. Like it's like chasing women and, and drinking and stuff. So yeah, they've all got their their little quirks. Liam's part of that ensemble and stuff, but he does. He kind of sticks out somewhat because he, he gets more of a kind of a a meaty role, so to speak, and, and he does get this love interest. So he does. Uh, he does stand out from the bunch. So yeah. Yeah, because the movie is confident to take us away from the business of the company for a while and focus on Ming and Huck's pers- uh, respective um, romantic uh, interludes, which, uh, you know, Ming is, you know, partially a bit of a dick because uh, he um, doesn't uh, think it's a, a concern that he flirts with other persons. Vivian Chow's character, who she is so gorgeous in this movie. Woof. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she... Uh, she thinks uh, that's not a good idea to flirt with someone else like uh, monogamy whatever he's a bit of a dick but he's not terribly unlikable in yeah. the in the overall scheme of things and uh, I, I like that this movie has a little 20-30 minute uh, romantic story away mm. from all of this and uh, yeah. I think the greatest strength is when I really got hooked to the movie when I realized that it's not just about solving our financial uh, situation but it's also about romance is the scene where they're out there rowing together and uh, Huck and Cat uh, get stuck in a boat without oars while well he this was an asshole move like Leon Lai and Vivian Chow just leaves them without oars <laughs> you know and I love those scenes where uh, they're, they're stuck there Huck is uh, a very nervous fellow and that doesn't aid his uh, stuttering obviously so he can't communicate very well and she, she was actually nominated for this role Song Lei as best newcomer and if you aren't warmed by her presence and her empathetic ways especially in the scenes with with Hack and Lee uh, uh, you, you're a robot you're like you, your heart is dead because I, I, I really love their interactions throughout the movie you know yeah I know she's lovely she. and he needed someone to be like that with the character for obviously from that point of view because the way it obviously stutters and stuff and you need that character to be that kind of sympathetic and it's kind of the the, the role reversal of kind of um, Leon's and, and Vivian's as well completely the opposite um, which is nice because they bounce off from each other and uh, but they're still best mates etc but yeah it was quite it was nice to see that so yeah you know sometimes making romances you, you need to be good at it, but it, you, you can also make it simple. You can have scenes where you just walk together and bond. Uh, you can be honest about the awkwardness and the failure to communicate, but that, that that isn't derailing a romantic connection. And that's what Clara Law is doing here with Hakin Lee and, um, and Song Lei. You know, there are various walk, uh, walking scenes around the harbor area, 
they're, they're lovely and they're, they, they, they sort of find a middle ground and in granted he comes out of his shell the more he spends time with her the less he stutters you know he can communicate it's not like he gets stuck on hell 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 trying to say hello and and that is lovely to see again this advantage of having sync sound uh, watching these two um, uh, walk together i think um, is uh, one of my strongest memories from the movie uh, and uh, it always makes me jealous that creating bonding looks simple here on screen but uh, there are elements to make this work technical elements and uh, and the writing uh, again eddie fong her partner clara law's partner wrote this and just uh, getting the actors to gel and none of that is easy even though it looks easy it looks simple and basic and uh, i think this must be the toughest thing to do i mean you know you got an action film and stuff it's quite well where's the next action scene and you fill it in between and stuff and nobody's we do care because we're connoisseurs of cinema, but we want to get to the next action scene and boom, 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 and that's where your bread and butter is. But when you haven't got that, you need to drive something by storytelling, by having engaging characters and engaging storylines, and that's tough. That's tough to engage people on that emotional level and take them on a journey when you haven't got a big, you know, loud explosion going on in the next 15 minutes. So that's what well, that's uh, that is a um, attribute in itself to be able to do that and deliver that. So yeah. And she doesn't complicate this with visual style either, which is a very conscious choice. I mean, there are lovely shots here, but this isn't the movie to um, be in your face. And, um, you know, even if it's a wild and funny scene, you don't need to be in in our face. You just need to sort of set the camera and let Leon Lai and Vivian Chow be in the soccer stance. And uh, Leon Lai teaches her to to, uh, be a proper soccer fan. standing up and you know yelling and pointing yeah. and that's a that's a proper soccer fan for you and uh, that's uh, also um, that's also lovely i mean uh, one of the biggest attributes of uh, this uh, film is that they got a good good doggo they got a good doggo here as a sort of uh, their company mascot who's always there and he's a good boy that doggo is a good boy and that's uh, four stars for me like uh, <laughs> that that dog looked chill and cool and uh, and uh, dare to ride in the car with them and all of that so yeah and also approve of the fact that we got a scene set in a laserdisc store yay laser city we love you oh and they're just standing there with laserdisc and they're putting laserdisc out and look at oh look at the joys of that kids today will never know the jewel you had or you know when we had i used to get out in a vhs shop and it was the same thing and big clumpy vhs's and stand there for hours picking my what film will I watch next? In fact, I was down there that often in the video shop. I even got invited to their Christmas party because I was in that video shop more times than I was at home. Yeah, you financed that Christmas party. That's what you did. <laughs> exactly. I was in there. And it, yeah, you got Laser City there and stuff, and it looks lovely. It's lovely just to look at it and just, yeah. I mean, I wonder, uh, because uh, there, there's a ton of location work here, if, uh, like, uh, veteran Hong Kongers, uh, was there a, a store around in 1990-91 called Laser City because I have a feeling they didn't dress that interior. That interior had laser discs. Yeah, I mean, it means it's an attractive production. It's not the low, lowest budget of all lowest budget ever, but uh, I have a feeling they sought out uh, this store and uh, that they, uh, in 1991, you would be able to because uh, such stores existed. Uh, so, uh, But if you knew if Laser City existed in 1991, do let us know. Did you? I mean, we t- we touched upon this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Did did you ever thought thought uh, that there was a problem that we're away from the whole company thing, the laundry thing for so long, and then like 30, 40 minutes with romance, and then boom, we're back into how it's going or how it's not going. No, and I think you need that, don't you? You need that. You 
you're always going to have a, a mainstream storyline, and that's what it is. But then, you know, if you're going to tell stories, it's be boring as hell if you keep to that same theme, or you, you need to be very good. So chopping it up and put that romantic elements and or, you know, the, the intertwining and relationships between them and their partners, etc., that they all have and their journeys that you go on it. And then you come in and out of that main story it makes more sense. And it, it gives the characters a little bit more depth anyway. Um, and you're going to get to go back to that journey one. Cause if not, you know, you're just going to call it, you know, the, the office or whatever it might be. And it's just not going to be as poignant and or as enjoyable to watch. So yeah, I, I liked that. Um, and it's not even a distraction for me of the, you know, in and out of that. And it made sense to me and how Clara, delivered that it worked for me you know somebody watching the film yeah i agree that there was not a lack of focus uh, despite laundry being priority two in the story because it uh, shows the lack of the group cohesiveness at one point uh, because they're, they're, they're kind of not all into it if the focus is finance then the group lacks cohesiveness but the focus isn't just finance and they're all gonna learn that you can have a little bit of both you know, uh, or a little bit of all three things, you know, uh, uh, that a job, steady paycheck, friendship, love and so forth. And that isn't a cloying sort of realization. And, um, in, and th- there is good writing here. I mean, at, at one point uh, when there are a bit uh, argumentative with each other, uh, one of the guys says you can look at start charts and building placements and feng shui all you want. But if you fail, it's on you. You know what I mean? It's not because of these external elements. It's us. We did this. That's a great injection, you know, that you shouldn't... Uh, because because that's borderlining on making excuses for for the failure, you know. But uh, it was not proper fun- functioning. No, we were just bad at it. <laughs> and uh, they, they were. And uh, uh, So that's a good... Uh, Good uh, point. Uh, some further random notes. I think sing sound elevates scenes like when Leon and Vivian, uh, Vivian Chow, are having dinner with his slightly deaf grandmother, and she goes on and on about uh, not using contraceptives, and you better get me a grandson. And uh, there, there are also like live reactions that borderline on outtakes, even where, where they're sort of uh, a giggling at her sort of frank uh, dialogue. But it's all gentle throughout, a uh, gentle drama about pursuing uh, love as well, even uh, contemplating marrying young. But uh, favoring uh, happiness, even if the, even if it means the group will be fragmented. At one point, uh, two of the characters uh, seems to have created a created a home for each other, and they're very young, and they're they're, they're making that huge adult step. And uh, while you think some characters are not getting the proper attention, like uh, uh, the Remus uh, Choi character, I believe, who works in finance, who is getting attention from one of his um, office workers um, called Helen. You know, she uh, ignores her invitations and he sits there on the phone like, yeah, 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 have a good holiday. And she's, in fact, you know, invited him. And I, I thought Clara really tied the, the bow nicely on that story, too. You, because you'd think, like, we haven't heard from this. Is is this a subplot at all? But, and it turns out it is. It has a purpose here. And he gets his moments to sort of, oh, great, I'm a dick. <laughs> you know, he everyone needs to sort of have a shared priority of things uh, as you should not just work but also love and friendship and all of that so they're, they're not doomed these characters if they stop focusing 100 percent on on the financial pursuit uh, they're, they're not doomed their their future can still be bright and that's a, a little, little final uh it's not it's not a spoiler but it's sort of a determination that the movie comes to that uh they, they, it's good that they're proactive, but there's more to life than just, uh, uh, you know, working away and uh, building, 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 just in case something happens. 
Yeah, you're 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 right. I mean, more or less starts at more or less starts at the beach and finishes at the beach, and it is more, it is about friendship and friends and, and that rather than you know it comes full circle, so to speak. You start with the friendship and what it is, and you end with the friendship and what it is, and you know, and all the things in between, the financial and all that is just the the journey that they they're going on. But at the end of the day, that friendship is, you know, is more than that. And, you know, you can get over these hurdles and, and still carry on. Your friendship group becomes bigger because, you know, you've, you've still got that. So, yeah, like I say, it's a sweet and charming film. And, yeah, I think everybody should uh, pick it up and watch it. Yeah, there's attention to these arcs, even if the beats and mm. uh, even the tropes, romantic tropes are unavoidably here. I think uh, there, there's attention to these arcs, uh, not... Uh, uh, even you know Remus Choice uh, arc that seems to have been uh, left in the background and uh, and yeah you you're, you're right it actually um, essentially starts and ends uh, in the same uh, same sort of relaxed uh, location but uh, with some tweaks of uh, what to do now you know yeah <laughs> uh, which is cool well, well I'll uh, conclude my notes uh, right there still um, it's uh, still uh, a sweet and pleasant movie to me and um, whether you know what Clara Law did before or not uh, doesn't matter but uh, it uh, it sure was nice as a fan who followed I did it kind of chronologically when I started collecting her movies on DVD I, I think I did it kind of chronologically I mean Farewell China was definitely before uh, Fruit Punch so I knew that whoa this uh, was not positive did not end happily at all <laughs> everything sucks right now <laughs> that was Farewell China but uh, here you got Fruit Punch and uh, everything was kind of nice again so she she's not she didn't come off as a pessimistic cynical filmmaker and um uh, it was uh, colored by real life events, as we st- talked of, and and fruit punch uh, might as well be colored by real life events and pending handover and uh, your personal view and take on the current financial situation in Hong Kong. But it doesn't need to be all bad, and uh, that's what she sort of demonstrates in fruit punch. Uh, so yeah, I'll conclude my notes right there. Anything else you want to say? like i say thoroughly enjoyed it um one of those pick up didn't know what to expect and i enjoyed the ensemble cast and i enjoyed uh, leon as well yes you're right mm. i've all, almost forgotten about that he he, <laughs> he gets a passing grade <laughs> very enjoyed, much so we enjoyed the film so much we forgot to rate leon um which just goes to prove how good it was <laughs> it's a lay for leon they're all kind of sometimes shaky they're untested but but they're very naturally made part of this and that is more than enough to uh, have them all, including Leon, reach this passing grade. I don't think there's a shaky performance in reality here, but you can see that uh, they're not uh, developed thespians, any of them. But they're 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 being led by a good teacher, and that comes from from both Eddie's script and Clara's direction. Uh, it's it's not just them sort of just being them here, but uh, she is uh, making sure it's good for the movie too. That uh, their their banter and uh, natural banter and fun between each other actually works for the movie. You know, you, you shouldn't just turn the camera on to these uh, guys and girls who seem like good friends and hope that that turns into a movie. No, Claire is better than that. She she's uh, making sure the beats uh, are there to uh, fully sort of uh, close the circle on the movie, and she does. Uh, so as for availability, by the looks of it, this was issued twice on DVD. First by Delta Mac, that's the one I got, and then Joy Sales. Uh, these aren't in stock currently on US Asia, so these editions might be a bit elusive right now. And there's no reissued Blu-ray as of uh, this recording. Hopefully, it will get one on eBay. However, there are affordable DVDs out of Malaysia by the, by the label Speedy that I hope are legit, but uh, that's 
sort of the way of watching the film as of now i have speedy products like vcds and stuff like that and that that looks all legit but uh, for the young and dangerous coverage i got this um, box set of uh, six of them the main series right they were all kind of copies of the hong kong counterparts minus company logos at the start right so uh, there were no universe logos uh, in the speedy set of young and dangerous or maya logos but just straight to the menu so i'm thinking hmm but there were no other ways to get uh, in my case for the young and dangerous coverage i needed four through six cheaply and that's because they, they were majorly expensive on the own and so that's the way i got it from the label speedy so for fruit punch i'm not sure it's legit but I'm thinking you're going to get uh, as uh, good of a, of a viewing experience as the Joy Sales or Delta Mac DVD, which are older prints, but by no means unwatchable. Not at all. But uh, we'll see if a HD uh, rendition of Fruit Punch uh, comes out, because uh, there are visual things to display here. The cinematography at points is, is both natural, but also uh, there's some lovely uh, lit uh, nighttime scenes. So um, it, uh, it it deserves to be... Um, Seen that way, um, this has to be out there in a little bit more extensive fashion, in my opinion. So uh, the DVDs on eBay were like 18 US dollars, and there's going to be shipping on top of that. But if you found uh, uh, the content uh, here that we uh, delivered, I'll take on the movie to be uh, compelling. That um, I think it's worth it. I, I've seen worse prices for movies that should just be made available at a lower price. Like, uh, why are you trying to price gouge like a small romantic drama that barely anyone knows about i'm gonna get 150 us dollars because it was released 10 years ago but no don't just get it out there get it to someone who might want it and uh, don't ruin them in the process it is where it is sometimes but in this case go get it uh, so that's us for the first leon lie episode we're gonna cover nine movies but because we had a packed sort of first episode only focused on one movie that means the second episode is also gonna be one movie and then we're off to Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. As a free uh, movie finale, and uh, we are going to uh, structure that, and uh, we'll be um, talking to you again about Leo Live. Good first start. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, and me, I'm glad I liked it as well. It's a good start for Leon. Let's see if he can keep up that pace. Hmm, we shall see. That's us. So for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, uh, go to podcastonfire.com. All our shows are available on there, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. So I'm going to keep it short, throw over to Phil, for whatever kind of plugging you'd like to do. You know what? If you want to find us, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that. Meta, whatever it's called these days. Whatever the kids are calling it, I don't know. Metabook. Come and say hi. Um, but um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this as much as I did. And I'm looking forward to the series of uh, Leon Lai as we go forward and, and step into and delve into his archives of work. So, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. But, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for taking me on the journey again, Ken. I look forward to the next one. Excellent. Good attitude. And uh, you, that's on record now. I'm not punishing Phil. I'm not uh, dragging him <laughs> into these things. Like, uh, he's, uh, yeah. I'm doing it by my own free will. Exactly. There's no, uh, there's no either payment or forced uh, labor here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you everybody for taking in this first episode of Leon Lai discussing Fruit Punch, his career, director Clara Law's career, and uh, we'll be back. So I've been Kenny B, and with me was Phil G. So, Teddy, bye.